everyone. Welcome to Neighbor Science, the only podcast about political economy and anime. Uh, we are here today to talk about depressed robots and their depressed pilots. Today is episode two in the uh, Mecha Madness miniseries that I'm doing. So today we're talking about uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion, easily the best giant robot anime in my opinion. And uh, to talk about it with me, I have Reed. Hey, Reed. Howdy. Howdy. What's up? <laughs> Not much. So what is your what is your experience with uh, Evangelion? Well, I think for me it was like I experienced it in precisely the correct way that one is supposed to experience Evangelion, which uh-huh. is like as a 15 and 16-year-old uh, experiencing major depression for the first time and then like <laughs> sneaking – and this is before like I it, we had like personal computers at my house or like smartphones, so sneaking downstairs – in the nighttime to the family computer that was in the kitchen um, to watch uh, fan-subbed episodes <laughs> illegally online <laughs> and really vibing and just, like, crying at 2 a.m. in the kitchen. So, <laughs> how, how did you get it? Uh, did you have to use peer-to-peer or something? Uh, no, I was just, like, streaming it like a noob. Oh, wow. I didn't know they had streaming back then. <laughs> yeah. I mean, or you're younger than I think you ago. are. <laughs> yeah. I'm a bit younger than that, but we just don't okay. have a lot of computers around or nothing. Because <laughs> <laughs> if I were to watch it as a 15-year-old, I would probably have to download it on either Rapid Share or some kind of torrent. Yeah, um, no, this is like early days of like Kiss Anime and watch cartoon online kind of okay. like bootleg streaming stuff. Dang. All right. Um, yeah, I, I did not have the uh, essential... Uh, experience unfortunately i my friends all told me to watch it when i was a teenager and i was a uh, like an obstinate like hipster type so i was like oh, no yeah. fuck that <laughs> rosafon's so much better and uh so <laughs> i i didn't watch it until like three months ago <laughs> and yeah. uh since then i've watched it like five <laughs> times so yeah important question netflix version or original uh, uh sub <laughs> well i watched the netflix version uh, but it was the sub, and I, I don't think they changed the translation of the sub. I think it was only the dub they changed. 
but I might be wrong. Yeah, there there are some changes to the uh, the subtitles as well from between Netflix and the version, the older version that I watched. Um, well, I guess we may as well dump this audio then. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're both good, despite what the nerds say. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I prefer the nostalgic, edgier one that I I watched. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's. I guess we need to give an intro for people who don't know what it is. Even though, I mean, besides Dragon Ball Z, it's probably the most well-known anime. I think. It's Dragon Ball there. Z, Sailor I Moon. Mean, Spirited Pokemon. Away, and then, oh, Pokemon, yeah, yeah, and then, yeah. So, yeah, I think top it, five, probably. Even, yeah, and Evangelion, I feel like, is pretty commonly people's, like, first intro to, like, uh, anime and animation in general with, like, like adult themes, you know, yeah. like, y- young adult and adult themes, and, like, Especially because they cut all the gay stuff out of Sailor Moon. Yeah, exactly. There's They, they left all the, like, psychological existential um stuff out of the american version <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah if you watch if you watch it in the original japanese it's like so deep and dark you know <laughs> yeah you'll understand you'll understand the themes uh a lot Bro, better it's totally not for kids it's, it's totally yeah. not for kids <laughs> <laughs> um yeah you know cutting cutting all this stuff uh in the american version is just all according to keikaku yeah, <laughs> ironically, Evangelion was uh, rather controversially aired during a children's TV like programming slot when it was airing originally. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So people were like, "What the fuck are you showing on this on this uh, this time slot right now?" That's interesting. Uh, so the the first uh, Mecha Madness episode we did was Gundam, and uh, Josh pointed out that uh, Gundam was taken off of the air because of 9-11. So that's the second weird time slot thing that's happened in a row, I guess, for us. What, the um, Federation did 9-11? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so Evangelion uh, basically is about uh, Shinji Ikari, who is a teenager who's uh, estranged from his father, and he is brought to Tokyo 3, uh, which is like a, an artificial city, well, artificial city. They're all artificial. Uh, it's a uh, like a. Uh, it's like a fortress city. Yeah, fortress city. There you go. Uh, built after the second impact, which is um, an event that they explain in various levels of correctness through the series, um, and uh, it, it basically caused like uh, uh, the ice caps to melt. So it's a post climate change apocalyptic future and uh so shinji is brought to tokyo 3 um i don't remember why they told him he was but he was brought there basically so he could pilot a giant robot um you know developed in a program that his father is is head of and uh yeah it turns into like a really just crazy uh psychological uh and philosophical like ex- exploration and uh like uh there's there's a lot of like apocalyptic stuff even beyond the second impact um it's 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 a lot there's a lot of stuff happening in evangelion highly recommended that everyone check it out uh if they haven't already but um so we're we're going to be talking a lot of spoilers i would say so if uh if you haven't 
seen it and you don't like spoilers, uh, wait until you've finished it to listen to the rest of this. <laughs> yeah. We're going to spoil uh, every single alternate timeline. Yeah. <laughs> um, so one like one major thing that I think we should note about Evangelion is that it is a deconstruction of the giant robot genre. So like some of the hallmarks of the giant robot genre are, you know, obviously the the giant robot fights. There is the uh, alien attackers who often we don't know their origin or like, you know, what their goals are or anything like that. They have very young pilots, like teenage pilots. Um, they have, uh, like, the robots will move around and do, like, martial arts with, you know, the pilots just, like, sort of pushing handles around. And that doesn't, you know, it doesn't really make sense. But so they they take on all of this stuff. So in, in Evangelion, the, the pilots are, like, literal child soldiers and have all of the issues of real child soldiers. The giant robots can move like that because they only sort of need pilots. They're actually just like aliens with, with souls and they just have armor around them to restrain them. Or in, in some case, like uh, essentially they're human beings and yeah. the way that the, the children pilot them, they explain piloting with uh, minimal hardware is that they're psychologically connected to the, the central nervous system of the, of the robot. So, it's implying that they feel all the damage uh, mentally that the robot takes, and that's how they control it as well. Yeah, yeah. The, the pilots are basically just like psychological service dogs. Yeah. You know, they're just yeah, there yeah. to like make the aliens feel less anxious. <laughs> yeah. The cockpit is basically just like inserted directly into the uh, spinal column. Yeah, of the robot. <laughs> and and the 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 kaiju that they fight, the aliens, the alien enemies, they are basically the same life forms as the giant robots. Uh, but they just they don't have the armor around them that makes them you know controllable by humans. So yeah, I, I think it's like one of the earlier like genre deconstruction shows. There's been a lot since then. Like One Punch Man uh, is probably the most well known one. Yeah, and I want to point out too, like um, so the director Hideaki Anno mm-hmm. um, and several of the people who went on who worked on this were the founders of Gainax, which is like a very big. Um, animation studios created mm-hmm. a lot of pretty famous stuff um and kind of a hallmark of a lot of their like flagship shows is that they do this thing which um uh is basically like they deconstruct a genre but do mm-hmm. it in a way where they sort of like deconstruct it by doing like a reductio ad absurdum kind of argument where they just maximize every single like trope of the thing so they uh-huh. kind of take it as a deconstruction that kind of like comes out the other side in a sense, makes you yeah. be like, whoa, that's way sicker than uh, even like the lame genre tropes. Like they take the genre tropes and make them kind of like awesome and terrifying again by just uh, turning the volume up to 11 on all of them. Yeah. <laughs> and another hallmark is the Gainax ending, which is where they have an ending like Evangelion where it's just like really complex and absurd and kind of hard to follow and a lot of stuff happens all at once so since we are a political economy podcast there are some political economy themes in evangelion that we can talk about um i think the biggest most obvious one is the deep state the events of the series are mainly 
orchestrated by Nerv and Sela, which are two secretive organizations. Nerv is a independent organization created after the Second Impact, or I guess I guess it was actually before the Second Impact because they sort of caused it. <laughs> um, but they're they're essentially like a private military and scientific contracting company. Yeah. It's like it's like if the UN was actually effective, and it's also a branch of the UN. So, <laughs> yeah. And then uh, Sela is is more like propaganda due. If if That's anyone the knows what that is, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's like a state within a state sort of thing. So it's uh, yeah, they have like Illuminati type control over everything, complete with like people meeting as like masked masked men who are all like important uh, heads of industry or government organizations or shit like that yeah interesting that Sela is German for soul and um nerve is kind of like I feel like implying sort of like nervous system or like nerves sort of like soul and brain Uh is an interesting parallel that they set up there true they also have shell organizations well at least one uh we know we know of one specifically which is the Marduk Institute uh which in the show is supposedly making the decisions of who actually becomes an Ava pilot. But we find out later it's just a front uh, composed of companies that have nothing to do with the process. And uh, they just serve to conceal the direct control over the selection process by Ikari and... Is it Ritsuko that's doing it as well, I think? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, they... Like, like Nerve has, like, a, a huge amount of control. Fuyutsuki at one point in the show says like just straight up that city council in Tokyo three is a sham because everything is governed by the, the Magi, which are like the nerves, supercomputers. So they, they just like govern everything in Tokyo three themselves. So it's like really, really like a, a deep state type thing. And uh, at, at another point in the series, um, Matsuhiro is calling, uh, talking to Shinji and he mentions uh, something that just happened. I think it was like one of the angel attacks. And uh, then a voice comes on the call saying the call has been monitored and will be terminated for security reasons. So they're just like surveilling everything that's happening. Much like uh, the state that currently exists now. <laughs> After Shinji fights Satchio, which I, th- I think that's the first angel that comes. We see business leaders talking with uh, his father Gendo about the general population's knowledge of angels and the activities of Nerv. And immediately after, the Prime Minister of Japan puts out an address that goes out on every channel to like just bury the story with something else. And uh, Misato refers to it as Scenario B-22. So like they just had plans to deal with any sort of like media leaks like already in the bag. <laughs> and they just had to... You know, make some calls to make it happen. She even says it was thanks to the public affairs office, so they have like a specific bureau of nerve to influence the media, which I, I think she said they're usually bored. So this was like the first like action they actually had. <laughs> <laughs> and then episode six is just all about Misato having to navigate the deep state bureaucracy in order to get a big ass gun to kill an angel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So she has to like requisition all of the energy in Japan for seven hours to power like a giant gun. 
and somehow not let anybody know what it's for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, somehow that worked. <laughs> and then, like, uh, in episode seven, they, the staff complain that they're perpetually short on budget, despite, you know, supposedly being the saviors of humanity. And then later when a, uh, they, they tried to build a giant robot with a nuclear reactor and uh, it shockingly goes on a rampage and uh, they start making calls trying to get someone to fix it. And all of the top bureaucrats that they call are just passing the buck along to the next guy. One of them is shown to be golfing and he just says, ask someone else. <laughs> so yeah, and pretty accurate. With that episode too, like the, uh, that giant robot is sort of like the classic like giant robo anime. It even has like some ridiculous like stupid like cartoony name, and it's fully mechanical. Oh, yeah. So it's it's sort of like <laughs> contrasting the uh, like the biological um, cyborg mutant alien robots of the Avas with more traditional like giant robo fully mechanical. Um, yeah, didn't it also have like the the like two flexible tube arm type? Type arms. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's just like real goofy looking. Yeah. <laughs> so I have this. Uh... Oh yeah, this is actually an article about Evangelion on like a scholarly article about Evangelion Damn. because it is like serious the the anime equivalent of serious literature. So there is like real scholarly analysis of it. Yeah, there's a lot to dig into. <laughs> yeah. So this author D. Redmond, Dennis Redmond. Um, this is from Anime and East Dennis Asian Rodman? Culture. <laughs> Yeah, Dennis Rodman. <laughs> Dennis Rodman writes, Japanese big business is characterized by vast interlocking networks of shareholdings, trade links, and credit facilities called keiretsu. The original Japanese word is an adjective roughly meaning parallel or related, but economists often use it as a noun. Since 1995, the main financial centers of the keiretsu have undergone a massive series of fusions and consolidations, creating three superbanks. The Bank of Tokyo Mitsubishi, uh, Sumitomo Mitsui Bank, and Mizuho Bank. These banks are part of a vast are part of vast industrial networks which trade and invest all across East Asia. It's important to stress that Anno is highly critical of East Asian big business, and several episodes of Evangelion are scathing satires of corporate turf battles, corruption scandals, and political imbroglios of Keiretsu capitalism. It, it you'll know, it's kind of like in other cartoons and stuff when you see like characters who are like said to have like rich parents, you know, like mm -hmm. oh such and such his father is like the president of ex uh like industrial conglomerate that's kind of what they're talking about it's not just like an ordinary company right right um yeah and then we also talked about um and i don't know what episode it was uh i might be able to find out later but um the the kazuko which was like uh in the transition from uh the edo period to the meiji restoration uh, they took all of the important families uh, in like the the old feudal system uh, and basically just converted them to important families in the capitalist system, which were known as the Kazuku. So they had like uh, special um, influence over the new Japanese capitalist state. Um, so there's there's like a long history of like what people would call crony capitalism in Japan. Um, but I mean, it's just like ordinary capitalism. That's just how it works. <laughs> but yeah, and I think yeah. also interesting in in that whole uh, side side track, there is um, a lot of those same like people running that uh, 
this whole system, the uh, Keiretsu system, mm-hmm. are often also well closely tied with people in like the ruling party who are on like the far right, who are often sort of far right nationalists leaning towards kind of fascist uh, Japanese Empire restorationist mm-hmm. people. Um, and one of their big pet issues that they always bring up in the diet is uh, trying to change the constitution to lift the ban on them having a standing military and being able to like, they're always pushing to further um, empower and militarize the, the SDF, the self-defense force, which ends up the SDF becomes extremely militarized in Evangelion and ends up playing an important part later on. Yeah. Especially in end of Evangelion. Yeah. Just a side note. Cause I, I, I just uh, learned more about this recently, but Another pet issue by the far right in Japan is um, having the prime minister visit Yasukuni Shrine, uh, which is a shrine where they commemorate uh, tons of uh, fallen war criminals uh, that occupied Manchuria in World War II and like killed millions of people, and uh, you know raped lots of. Korean women and Chinese women and and stuff like that. Um, Pretty fucked up stuff. Yeah. Okay. And while we're on this sidetrack, one more thing. Since you guys (laughs) just did the, you just did the episode on uh, modern monetary theory. Uh um, There's this weird thing that just happened like a few months ago where Stephanie Kelton, the um, Mm -hmm. one of the main spokespeople for MMT uh, Mm -hmm. went to Japan and had a meeting with several members of, parliament there and particularly had private meetings with some of the most egregious sort of far-right LDP fascist um, sort of pro-nationalism militarism experts because like you were mentioning you know uh, MMT can be used for you know full social programs or full fascism Um, right if people want to like get the details of that the um, the libertarian socialist caucus in DSA some of their members did like a deep dive and released a statement kind of explaining what went down with that. Damn, that sucks. Yeah, yeah. she she does seem like sort of uh not apolitical, I guess, but like she she doesn't seem to have like that much of a political alliance or a polit- like a like a strong alignment with anyone cuz I'll like I'll, I'll see her on Twitter like quote tweeting like people on the right and saying like like explaining to them that oh yeah you guys don't actually have to tax people to have to do government spending it's like shut up shut the fuck up (laughs) don't tell them that (laughs) they they dug up enough dirt in that statement about it that her like mmt crew kind of did a response to it saying like oh she didn't know they were far right and oh she also met with members of the (laughs) communist party but um the fact is, is she just like had specifically like private lunches, giving specifically the far right people economics advice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and also the Japanese Communist Party isn't as as far left as the far right party is far right. <laughs> yeah, they're the Japanese Social Democrats. Yeah. <laughs> right. Although interestingly, they are the biggest parliamentary communist party in the world, I believe. Last time I checked. Hmm. That kind of sucks, actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, in perspective. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if you want to read more of that article, I'm not going to read uh, more of it, but, um, yeah, it's it's in the show notes. 
Um, you can look at it through Sci-Hub. Uh, it's, it was pretty interesting. Um, although I think he gets some stuff wrong because he says something is a, a fairly explicit reference to the post-Cold War scenario of Valve's, Valve Software's Half-Life, um, <laughs> okay. which came okay. out three years <laughs> after Neon Genesis Evangelion, so <laughs> yeah, <all right>. I don't <laughs> know. <laughs> uh, anyway, so yeah, another major theme in Evangelion is uh, the, the post-apocalyptic um, setting that it takes place in. Um, so uh, as we said before, um, you know, the second impact melted the ice caps. Uh, we see flooded cities everywhere um, throughout the show. But I think unlike other post-apocalyptic worlds like Blom or Terminator or Attack on Titan, the world of Evangelion continues basically like almost exactly like it did before. So they, they have this new deep state organization that's supposed to you know manage any crisis related to the second impact but other than that nerves operations are hidden from the public nobody really pays attention to them except for the that one kid i can't remember his name but the like the military nerd kid yeah the military otaku kid yeah yeah sort of the guy next staff self-insert character (laughs) (laughs) yeah um so like no no one else really cares about it and then like Anytime we see the like the school like class actually happening in the school, um, the teacher is just talking over and over about the second impact as like a his, like a sort of historical subject. Um, like he's just talking about mankind was able to rise from the ashes caused by the hell that was the second impact. With each passing year, the birth rate continues to decline. Just stuff like that. So it's like. I think it's like a more realistic post-apocalyptic thing because instead of society changing completely into, you know, this social Darwinist fantasy that we see in like a lot of stuff, it's just everything continues except it's just getting worse. Like everything's just getting worse. Yeah. And something I think is interesting about that too, like the post-apocalyptic setting of Eva is like all the, all those other um, post-apocalypse settings that you mentioned, mm-hmm. um, you know the 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 symptoms of the apocalypse that people are dealing with are more fantastical. Um, mm-hmm. Rather, uh, with Ava, it's like the the post-apocalyptic symptoms that people are living through are real ones that we're experiencing right now and have been since the show was created. Like basically, the two main impacts are. Um, sea level it has to do with the seas for the most part so sea level mm-hmm. rise and then also the i think they mentioned it's either in the original series or the rebuild basically that the second impact also wiped out nearly all life in the oceans um, oh yeah i don't kind of that. sterilizing the oceans which is also wow. happening but so it's like they're realistic um effects with a supernatural cause just kind of an unusual way to turn it around but if you really think about it if you really think about it, it's not even a supernatural cause. It's it's the cause of that's happening in reality because they're humans. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's just sort of like a supernatural catalyst, but um, yeah, by ongoing human behavior that exists in the real world. Yeah, um, and another thing I I thought was interesting was um, you know another thing about most post apocalyptic media is. Uh, after after the apocalypse, like everything is dead, and it's usually like like a desert setting, or just like a like in some way like dead 
setting. Like everything is dead around uh, the characters. But uh, in episode four, uh, Matsuhiro mentions that uh, cicadas are much more numerous lately. And Shinji says it's because the ecosystem is coming back to life because a lot of human population was wiped out and a lot of states collapsed. And so the ongoing destruction of the ecosystem that was happening before the apocalypse stopped a little bit. Unfortunately, the United States still exists. Ah, well, you know, can't win them all. <laughs> but their Ava blew up, so fuck them. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, they bikini had told themselves. Yep. About time. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, too dark. <laughs> <laughs> I think the most interesting part of Evangelion is is the philosophical elements. There's a lot to talk about in that respect. For me, one of the most interesting parts of it is the Kierkegaardian philosophy. They, I think they borrow heavily from Kierkegaard, uh, who, if you don't know, he's a, a Christian philosopher uh, from Denmark from the 19th century, I think. 18th or 19th and um his big thing was uh he he sort of uh like defined the concept of anxiety and connected it to um like people trying to find a purpose in life um so uh even though he's christian and i i don't like christianity at all um i I really like his philosophy because any any given human goes through like certain stages of life according to him. Um, the first stage is basically just like trying to like survive as a person. Uh, the second stage is developing an aesthetic and trying to um, like find pleasure through aesthetic, and then. The third stage is uh, like trying to live ethically and, um, you know, finding a, a higher ethical purpose um, to uh, work towards in your life. And then the fourth stage, which, uh, you know, this is where I get off off of the Kierkegaard train is, uh, you know, living a Christian life. So, you know, you go beyond the the ethical life and you submit yourself to God and that that's like your true high purpose. Yeah. Um, that's my stop. I'm off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. Um, submit yourself but, to instrumentality maybe. Y- yeah. <laughs> um, and I mean, there is a heavy Christian aesthetic in the show, which like we could read as being connected to Kierkegaard. Um, but according to the staff, uh, they just did that stuff to be edgy basically which is pretty funny um yeah i mean it goes they kind of like do the whole like kind of uh da vinci code just like christian symbology and uh conspiracy mm-hmm. stuff like going you know pretending that like the uh the angels were prophesied in the dead sea scrolls instead of it just yeah. being a bunch of apocryphal bible books right yeah but they do in the show like there is an explicit reference to kierkegaard um, I, I don't remember what scene it is, but there is a scene where you can actually see a Kierkegaard book. Well, um, in the frame. <laughs> okay. 
So they, they definitely were thinking of him um, in the show. The aim of the Human Instrumentality Project is to eliminate the problem of dread, uh, which Kierkegaard conceptualizes as an unfocused fear that comes from individuality and a lack of self and purpose. According to Kierkegaard, dread is a necessary part of life and the development of the self, and only by focusing one's fears and committing oneself to a meaningful existence, uh, which you know I consider the ethical life and he considers the Christian life, uh, can one overcome dread? So, so according to him, basically dread is like the agony that people feel from like having like a pointless life and not being able to understand what other people are thinking. So in order to overcome it, you have to like give yourself a purpose. Um, and like for the, for the aesthetic life part where people are just, uh, engaging in, you know, uh, sensory pleasures, Kierkegaard says that, you know, people grow tired of that because eventually you run out of like any novelty with, uh, sensory pleasures. Um, and, and so that's usually when people ascend to the ethical stage of, of life is when they realize, you know, all of this stuff that I enjoy is like getting pretty samey. And, uh, you know, there's, uh, there's no point to my existence if like all I'm doing is, you know, hedonistic pleasure that, especially if it's like getting dull, you know, another reason why the show can be, is somewhat devastating when you watch it as a teen. <laughs> Because you're just you're really starting to like have fun with the uh, hedonistic pleasures of life, and then you're like, yeah. "Oh fuck, these actually suck. <laughs> <laughs> life is meaningless." <laughs> yeah, Better, like, exactly. Take a hundred dabs and see if that helps. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, Kierkegaard at, uh, during his time saw most people as as either ignoring dread by uh, going along with the herd and. I guess in like the higher purpose type stuff that they're doing. Um, he, he was the type of person that thought most people weren't true Christians. He was kind of kind of a gatekeeper with Christianity, which, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I have no feeling about that because Christianity is only a true Christian if you agree with me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Unlike all those other Christians, you know. Right. I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the other way people ignored uh, dread was through the pursuit of physical pleasures, which again, works for a time, but loses effectiveness. So we see this with uh, Misato and Kaji, who spent uh, an entire week lying around banging each other and came to the realization they were trying and failing to fill a void left by trauma and dread. They make uh, several references to that through the show of like, oh yeah, you guys just spent like a week or lying around in bed. And uh, that that's the, that's the aesthetic existence. And then... The ethical existence is Misato joining Nerve uh, to try and win her her dead dad's approval. Kind of. I mean, that's that's the other elephant in the room for the show. Is yeah, that's the probably that's that's issues. the underlying motivation. And then like yeah. the the surface level motivation is like trying to better humanity, I guess, or defend humanity. But yeah, the the dead dad stuff is. I I think you're right. Is yeah. the underlying Everyb- thing. Pretty much everyone important in the show is dealing with the trauma of like having lost or been rejected by a parent right. in their life. Yeah. And we'll we'll get we'll get into that more when we talk about Freud, uh, which is oh, also yeah. a big Freud, part of Freud, baby. <laughs> <laughs> um let's see. So uh I have a quote here 
from End of Evangelion, uh, which is, uh, if they can visualize themselves in their own minds, anyone can return to human form. Um, and I think that describes the need to uh, work to achieve selfhood in Kierkegaard's philosophy. So the, the original ending also describes this. Only by understanding the differences between oneself and others can one develop a sense of self. Only by relating oneself to others uh, can you develop a sense of self. Just a little Kierkegaard digression here. That uh-huh. argument you just spelled out. Shout out to homie who, who shall not be named, who's a big Hegel nerd. What they've told me over and over again is that that's like basically a perfect um, like one-for-one match of Hegel's conception of the self, which is uh, somewhat problematically named the master-slave dialectic. Basically the idea of only being able to conceive of yourself um, through your relations with others. Like He's got a quote here. I'm pulling from the Wikipedia page because I know nothing about this besides <laughs> what I've been told. Uh, On approaching the other, it has lost its own self since it finds itself as another being. Secondly, it has thereby sublated that other, for this primitive consciousness does not regard the other as essentially real, but sees its own self in the other. Yeah, Hegel is fucking impossible to read, but I <laughs> trust this other person's judgment on this one. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would definitely have to read that quote several times to know yeah. what, it, what the fuck it's saying. <laughs> but it's, 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 a, it's a legit philosophy thing. I think it's gone on to influence a lot of important work. Um, Specifically, uh, Fanon uses it to describe okay. colonial colonial relations between colonizers and the colonized in black skin and white masks. I didn't know and... Livy was such a philosopher. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Some people say he was inspired by the Haitian Revolution. That's where he got the idea, sort of. Interesting. Yeah. Anyways, back to Kierkegaard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In contrast to humans uh god is completely alone and in uh end of evangelion they they talk about how shinji is would basically be able to become god so the evangelion allows someone to become god and live forever long past when any person is alive but they would be completely alone so they would basically lose their selfhood they they wouldn't be human anymore because they have no relation to anyone interestingly that is sort of the uh conclusion of end of evangelion spoilers where even though shinji is rejected in instrumentality um Mm -hmm. the ava is sort of like petrified and jettisoned into space ava unit one spoilers again is basically powered by shinji's mother's soul who it's implied um intentionally like dissolved her form in order to inhabit the evangelion for the exact purpose of what happened at the end of Eva where the Ava- Evangelion became like an eternal testament to humanity's existence floating in space all alone, essentially God. Yeah. The show is crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then I think the final scene of the, the original series, the original ending like really spells out about how it's about subjectivity and dread. I, I kept, I kept saying anxiety before I, what I meant was dread. That's the word that um, Kierkegaard uses. But anyway, um, so, I mean, it's like the whole end scene. So I'm just going to quote the lines that I highlighted before because. It's possible to have different versions of myself. That means it's possible there's a version of me that is not an Eva pilot. If you hold on to that outlook, this real world isn't such a bad place. The real world may not be a bad place, but I still hate myself. It's your heart that perceives reality as being harsh and full of suffering. 
And your heart interprets reality as being the only truth. How you see reality, how you interpret it. With those things changing slightly, what's inside your heart will change greatly. There are as many truths as there are people. But there's only one truth for you. Focused through a narrow worldview, built using information that's been altered for your protection. It's an artificial truth. Yep, a guy's view of the world is pretty small. You're just standing on a molehill. In the end, people can only gauge things around them with their own little yardstick. People tend to see the world using the truths that others have given them. Be happy on a sunny day. Be melancholy on a rainy day. You become stuck feeling that way because it's what others told you to feel. But fun things can happen on a rainy day as well. The truth embodied within a person is delicate and malleable. That truth can be changed depending on how you interpret the events in your life. That's basically all there is to one person's truth, and it's why you'll be curious to find what other deeper truths await you. You're simply not accustomed to receiving affection from other people. You can take comfort knowing you have no need to worry about what others will think of you all the time. But doesn't everybody hate me? You're an idiot! You just assumed on your own that everybody thinks that way about you! But... I really do hate myself. Someone who hates themselves will project that hate and will then be unable to trust others. I'm dishonest. A coward. A sneak. And a weakling. You can become kinder to yourself by learning about yourself. I hate who I am. But still, maybe, maybe I, I could change, change and like myself. myself. <laughs> maybe it's really okay for me to be here after all. I'm only who I am. I am me. I want to be myself. I want to be here. It's okay for me to be here in this world. So they're basically saying that, like, like, <laughs> sorry. They're saying uh, a lot of shit. Basically. Yeah, they are saying a lot. Like, you need to have uh, like a healthy relation to the world and other people, and like understand what it is you want for yourself in order to you know claw your way out of your depression and and live a fulfilled life and if you're in the hole of depression and thinking that uh you know you hate yourself or that other people hate you and so you hate yourself because of that i mean you're just probably uh, it might be true <laughs> if you really suck but most likely it's uh you're just like you're fucking yourself up basically um, yeah, I think that's a really important part, too, because it's like, in a lot of ways, Shinji does objectively just suck as a person. Yeah. But kind of his realization at the end of those episodes is like, I might suck and everybody might hate me, but, you know, I'm able to choose the reality that I want to live in. And that includes being able to choose a self that I want to be as well. And I can change. Yeah, his uh, his his final line is actually... Um, I was, uh, talking about this in therapy last week <laughs> and, uh, and my therapist gave me like, like a mantra to make myself feel better if I'm like everybody really depressed. When you, get a new, when you get a new therapist, everybody make sure that they're like competent in the lore of Evangelion. If you really want to <laughs> have a good experience, just like you got to come out the gate with that just so you know, you're not wasting your time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so, but, but she gave me this mantra and it was, it was very similar to what, uh, Shinji's last line was. So I just, I'm using, you know, his last line, which is, 
uh, I'm me. I want to be me. I want to be here, and it's okay for me to be here. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that, that's it's a big important thing for people to do in all sorts of causes of depression is sort of the idea of unconditional self-acceptance, mm-hmm. um, which and I think also is important to kind of like to some degree extend towards the rest of the world because for the most part people suck and are going to disappoint you at least some of the time. Mm-hmm. And so if you're not able to unconditionally accept the world as it is, you're going to be upset and angry and disappointed and scared all the time because the people who you expected to never hurt you or disappoint you do that sometimes. And so it's like shattering your perfect uh, expectations of the world instead of being like, I mean, like I was even thinking about that in terms recently in terms of like the way some of the faults of like how the left operates, the Mm -hmm. left has in a sense, a big like perfectionism problem, expecting everybody to never do wrong and never mess up. But it's also like, if we're really, you know, about what we're about in terms of human liberation, um, that's all we also have to accept that people, even if we succeed in all of our wildest dreams come true in terms of equality on earth, uh, people are still going to be disappointing and suck and have conflicts. And right. Uh, what we're fighting for is also the emancipation of people who will disappoint us and are imperfect and um, will fuck things up. But if they're not included, it's not really complete. Basically, what we're saying is Shinji is Joe Rogan and we, you know, he may <laughs> suck, but we need oh, him. God. We need him to save humanity. <laughs> fuck. Yeah. I mean, Loki. Yeah. <laughs> if Shinji just dro- uh, took some supplements and like, Drank, drank the mushroom coffee I wouldn't be having these problems the, the, oh and uh, Nerve is actually or Sela is fighting for the uh, um, human optimization project right yeah yeah that's, that's, that's his supplement company's tagline or whatever <laughs> fuck I did not want to go down this rabbit hole <laughs> um, alright so let's let's move on to the, the hedgehog's dilemma which is another major concept this is one they name explicitly like multiple times in the show. Um, so it's a concept by uh, Schopenhauer. I think it's Arthur Schopenhauer. I can't remember his first name. But anyway, they, they talk about it in episode two. So it's like pretty important to the show. Uh, the idea is that hedgehogs, like people, can only get so close to one another without their defense mechanisms ca- causing pain to one another. So in, in Evangelion, the Avas and the Angels have AT fields. AT stands for absolute terror, in case anyone's wondering. Um, Which is fucking sick, by the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so the AT fields are are clearly, in this metaphor, the spines of the hedgehog. Although I, I think a more subtle spines of the hedgehog is the synchronization with the AVAs. Because a high sync rate means the pilot is more effective at driving the AVA, but then da- damage to the AVA becomes much more dangerous to the pilot. Yeah. Basically, the more traumatized you are as a child, the better Ava pilot you're going to be. Um, <laughs> yeah. Sort of how it works. <laughs> but the more you have trouble connecting with others, the more easily you'll be able to connect with this giant robot suit, which allows you to uh, enact horrific violence on the world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As, as, as Anno said himself, it's strange that Evangelion became such a hit. All the characters are so sick. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. That is a real quote from him. <laughs> um, so 
the uh, the series shows ways that the hedgehog's dilemma is uh, true and and not true in different ways. So, you know, obviously, like characters hurt each other through the show when they uh, get close to one another, like Shinji and Misato, Shinji and Asuka, Rei and Asuka. Um, but then, like, uh, Rei develops past her submissive and distant character by becoming closer to the other Ava pilots and becoming more of a person. Um, Shinji, uh, Shinji hurts Toji when unit, uh, uh, unit one nearly kills him. Um, but then he also like becomes a better person because of Toji, I think. And, uh, I think Toji becomes less, uh, angry and, and reactive, uh, because of Shinji. Um, they have like, uh, there's some explicit arguments against, uh, the hedgehog's dilemma. So Kaworu, who's the the final angel, says, uh, You go to extremes to avoid making first contact. Are you afraid of intimacy with others? If you keep clear of other people, then you won't be betrayed. You can avoid hurting each other. But you won't stop feeling lonely. No one can be eternally free from loneliness. Because a person is ultimately alone. But people can live on by being able to forget. Uh, but then, of course, immediately after this, uh, Shinji kills him, <laughs> uh, yeah, he, owning he him once and for all. And... Shinji, yeah, he betrays Shinji and Shinji kills him, <laughs> uh, <laughs> even though they're boyfriends. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, we also find out in Ev- End of Evangelion that uh, Gendo abandoned Shinji because he thinks that he would have sh- hurt Shinji if he were c- close to him. But obviously the message of the of the show and the movie is is that that's absurd he could have been hurt by gendo being close to him but he was definitely hurt by gendo abandoning him and sending him away and being distant and cold to him because people aren't hedgehogs so yeah. <laughs> it just doesn't make sense but it, it's interesting because it is really like something when you're like really deep in depression and antisocial anxiety and dread is like it feels very real to you you know the feeling like oh i can't leave my room and go see my friends because i'm just going to bring them down or say something mm-hmm. uh thoughtless or cruel so it's yeah. better to just stay here and avoid contact you know that's yeah that's something that feels that was very me yesterday real when you're <laughs> yeah it's, it feels very real when you're really in the grips of the shit um, yeah and it's it's hard to sort of see over that that wall that your mind puts up um the only way I've ever figured out is just like experience being able to recognize that pattern and um, provide myself with like counterexamples of like, Oh no, actually I've lived a long enough time to know that it isn't always like that. And even if you're feeling that right now and that is your current reality, it won't be your reality forever. You just got to wait it out (laughs) in some sense and try to like push on it a little bit. Yeah. And I I think most of the time when you're, when you're feeling like that, the the best thing to do is to like force yourself to be around people because yeah. uh, I mean, like, you know, other people don't necessarily know what you're going through. And so like chances are you're going to get some, you know, you're going to get cheered up a little bit by other people because they're, they're doing okay that day. And, you know, they, they know you as, you know, how, how you normally are not necessarily how you are in the moment, which is a, you know, depressed lump. Uh, yeah. And, and that, 
Yeah. It kind of goes back to the importance that the end of the show states about um, seeing yourself through others' eyes, you know, because Mm -hmm. if you're just going by your own internal monologue, it's incredibly inconsistent and very frequently false. Um, Yeah. And so to actually get the full picture of yourself as a person, you really need other people's perspectives and inputs on you. Like, you know, other people are understand that you're not always a fuck up and all the other things that you tell yourself. Yeah. One of the big hallmarks of, you know, anxiety, depression spiral, I think is just focusing in on like one thing you said or did and thinking that it's like the worst thing in the world, the worst thing you've ever done. And, you know, if you uh, talk to someone else about it, they're like, oh, I didn't even notice that. Like they're just yeah. not even <laughs> they're not even paying attention to that. <laughs> um, yeah. All right. So there's also a lot of Freud in Evangelion, especially in End of Evangelion, I think. Um, but de- definitely through the whole show. And the the biggest Freud concept they have is uh, the return to the womb. So it's the idea that all people fundamentally want to uh, return to the womb where we are warm and safe and have everything provided for us and there's no like danger really and that in a nutshell is what the instrumentality thing is uh we, we've mentioned it a couple times but we didn't really explain it um instrumentality is the goal of sela and they basically are trying to break down the i, I guess They're i guess trying they to dissolve the at, the AT fields. fields like yeah. yeah like all humans have at fields is that right yeah, basically they're saying like all conscious beings have an AT field. Um, yeah. And that's what keeps us having a fixed and separate form from other people. Right. So that's why we have individuality and dread. It's because we have these, uh, you know, these spines that keep us apart from other people. Um, so sort of the ego barrier or something like that. Yeah. And then so the process of instrumentality in End of Evangelion is very, very explicitly depicted as a return to the womb. Um, because, you know, we have Ray turning into a giant angel and unit one turns into like a phallus basically and goes into her forehead, uh, through a v- very vaginal, uh, opening <laughs> and that that's what actually causes everyone to, uh, break down into just orange liquid. Yeah, interestingly, the it's the the, the LCL is sort of yeah. like. Yeah. Thank you. I was and, trying to think of that, and uh, yeah, oh, LCL. It. <laughs> it's basically implied to. It's sort of like the blood of one of the original angels, Lilith. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of like the fundamental primordial stew that you know all life is said to have originated from, and it's basically like a, I think also implied to be sort of a saline kind of like seawater slash amniotic fluid kind of substance. Yeah, it's also what or, lets them breathe or sunny D. in the in it's the Avos. Sunny D. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> um, and I I think like they say in the show that uh, only um, motherless children are able to be pilots, uh, but I think they made that up. And the reason that all of the pilots are motherless children is because Sayla was trying to achieve instrumentality. And the most likely type of person that would choose instrumentality, which is a return to the womb, is a child who lost their mother. And typically, at least all the pilots that we've seen, 
um, the backstories of their mothers uh, lost their lives due to being involved with Nerve and Sela. Yeah. Especially Gendo. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and, but, but like the return to the womb, which as it's described on its own, sounds like pleasant when instrumentality is actually happening in the movie. Like everyone is absolutely fucking terrified because they just see people being like popped and, and broken down into liquid. And, uh, you know, we hear like screams of agony as, you know, everyone's souls are merged together by Ray. Um, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> pretty fucked up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. I, I think there's an interpretation of Eva too, where it's like the, the ending of the original show is sort of like a timeline where Shinji, um, sort of is able to accept instrumentality as well. And it helps him accept himself. And mm -hmm. it's sort of like the positive ending. Mm -hmm. It's like finding yourself by being able to break down the barriers between others. So all those characters who are talking to him um, are so sort of like the people he knows and loves, but also um, he's finally actually able to hear what they think of him and, mm -hmm. you know, kind of like learn from them. Whereas in the, the movie, the whole thing takes a much more negative and pessimistic tone where Shinji rejects that connection ultimately after being confronted with it. Um, yeah, because he, he also hears what, what everyone is thinking, but it's all the the terrible things that people uh, say yeah, exactly. about him. Yeah, exactly. It's sort of representing the like, oh, actually, if we had that, it would be awful because we'd never be able to get other people to fucking shut up about us um, right. ever. <laughs> yeah. Um, and just generally the movie as a whole is sort of like Anno and Gainax saying like, fuck you to all the people who um, hated the original TV ending. Yeah, um, <laughs> which is like, like oh, honestly like probably my Fuck favorite them. ending of any yeah. show. Yeah, it's just like explicitly like, you know, fuck all of the just like nerds who want it. There's that meme that goes around where it's like uh, somebody like looking at a, a picture of like Evangelion. Yeah, and it's like really deep. It's The screen says like really deep psychological, you know, important philosophical information. And it's like curving in an arc over their head, and the yeah. person just, just looking as like, "Oh, cool robot." Cool robot. Yeah. <laughs> cool robot. Yeah. So it's basically a fuck you to all the cool robot people. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And I think, uh, I mean, this return to the womb stuff, it's it's already very explicit with the the vaginal imagery, um, but I also think Shinji's final line before. Reversing the process of instrumentality uh, is makes it very explicitly about this too, because he says goodbye, mother, signifying his acceptance that we have to leave the womb forever at some point. Um, let's see. I think I think that's all I have on that. Um, I have a small section on the domination of nature, which is kind of up our alley. Um, oh yeah. So. Uh, Gendo and Fuyutsuki have a conversation uh, in one of the episodes where they are saying that cities are man's sanctuary from nature, uh, which man was cast into as punishment. So they, they think being in nature is like punishment and that cities are a fortress that keeps us from the the evils of nature. Um, and like the, the Avas are 
natural creatures that have been dominated by humans by being imprisoned in armor so that they can be controlled. Yeah. Interestingly, the Avas are genetically human. Right, right, right. They yeah. have an identical uh, genome. Yeah. Yeah, and... Um, yeah, I mean, there's not a... I don't think there's a whole lot on domination of nature stuff, but, uh, you know, I thought it would be good to mention because that you know we're we're book chin people so that's a big book chin thing all right you want to uh you want to read some some terrible reviews <laughs> this is a <laughs> new segment that, I... that we have on the Uh-oh. show <laughs> uh reviews of eva <laughs> yes <laughs> here we go all right Eva's a very polarizing anime. A lot of people correctly believe it's a 10 out of 10 anime, but uh, some people think it's really bad. So let's see. The first one I have is uh, a rating of 5 out of 10 by Archaon. 2,129 people found this review helpful. I think this is actually the top review of the anime. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> so Archaon says... This is like in the middle of it, so he said some other bullshit before this. But he says, That's not to say Shinji is a bad character. He's not. The problem is that one can only stomach so much unjustified self-pity, which unfortunately most of it was in his case, before wanting to slap some sense into the person in question. It's been pointed out to me that Shinji wanted to kill himself because he thought he was worthless, and that he should be pitied because of the bad hand he was dealt. I'm sorry, but that argument doesn't wash with me. If someone truly wants to kill themselves, then then they will. So Shinji didn't really want to die. In addition to that, I know quite a few people who have been dealt the worst hands possible, yet they do not whine and complain about it. Parentheses. And many of these people did consider themselves to be useless slash worthless at one time or another, yet they suffered in silence for the most part. What Shinji wanted was for people to pity him and tell him he wasn't worthless. And while this is not necessarily a bad thing, it was overused in NGE to the point where I wanted to put him out of his misery and not because I pitied him. The fact that Shinji's character has a tendency to ram his sense of worthlessness into the faces of the other characters is what put me off, as that type of behavior is usually for attention rather than a cry for help. What is the difference between those two? Uh, (laughs) And because of the show's focus on Shinji, you can imagine how much I wanted to hit him afterwards. It wasn't that I didn't understand. It was just that they failed to depict him as an object of pity, and instead he came across as a whining, self-pitying, attention-seeking, and generally loathsome person. Fucking neurotypicals, man. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, what do you think about that? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think that really encapsulates a probably seriously significant chunk of the people who hate this show. um, Yeah, I would say it's approximately 100%. (laughs) I would say like seventy five. I would say seventy five. Okay. <laughs> it's that it's like the just like neurotypicals who really don't get it because apparently they've never felt sad before, or if they felt sad, it was just because you know somebody knocked over their ice cream cone or whatever the fuck. Um, I'd say that's yeah. That's Can we really call them neurotypical though? <laughs> I think they're I the weirdos. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I've never, I've like probably met five of them in my life. Uh, yeah, but. They supposedly exist. There's like 2,000 of them on this comment thread or whatever. Um, but I say the other critics are people who maybe come at it from another, another angle where they see they just like, you know, they get the psychological stuff, but they focus on Shinji's character flaws because he is essentially in a lot of places like very misogynistic and just has a lot of like 
you know, obviously bad character traits. Um, right. You know, as, as a result of the trauma he's experienced, but you know, that really turns a lot of people off. Understand. And the society he lives in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I I think hating a show because the character is a bad person is is like kind of dumb guy stuff, you know? Yeah. People like fucking Breaking Bad or whatever, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the the show about a cool guy who, you know... Yeah, he's really cool. Is really smart. Cooking some cool drugs. <laughs> yeah. Um, Let's see. Uh, So he continues later. Unfortunately, the story breaks down in several places. Anno tried to make a show that merged all perspectives into one single view... And while he managed to achieve this in some measure, he failed because he focused too much on Shinji to the extent that no other options were ever considered. Hmm. No other options, you say. (laughs) He's about to to explain. (laughs) Here's what I mean. Nerve is a quasi-militaristic outfit, and as such, would generally have backup options available to them. The convenient deus ex machina I mentioned earlier effectively removes all chance for anyone else to come to the fore, except for Shinji, that is. If the viewer is to believe that an organization such as Nerve was supposed to protect the Earth, then they would, at the very least, look for other options, especially considering Shinji's character flaws. This would effectively mean that they would have had they would have at least some combat veterans or trained soldiers who could handle the Ava units. The use of teenagers as the leads in the show was simply so that it would appeal to the teenage audience. Damn. <laughs> this guy gets it. This guy fucking yeah. gets it. <laughs> Yeah. They should hire him. <laughs> yeah, I think he's a better writer than Anno. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, this would def- th- He's definitely well set up to write, like, the Marvel movie version of Evangelion. <laughs> like, the J.J. The J. Abrams adaptation or something. I don't, I don't think I copied this part of it, but at some point, he, he speculates that the reason they didn't do this is because they ran out of budget. So if they had more budget... Oh, yeah. Then they would have that's, had that's the really... character arc where they find someone to replace Shinji. <laughs> yeah, they find the like the marine copy paste guy. Um, <laughs> you know, what did you say to me, you little? You know that guy. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Fuck. <laughs> um, all right, I have one more. Uh, this is from Name Ninety Three, and uh, they actually reviewed both. Uh, Neon Genesis and End of Evangelion. Uh, so this is the intro to their review of Neon Genesis Evangelion. I do not consider myself fully qualified to review this series. I do it's not hard. consider anyone to be fully qualified <laughs> to objectively review this series. Objectively, huh? Objectively, yes. <laughs> objectively. Why? Why? Because even though Neon Genesis Evangelion may or may not be the popu- most popular anime of all time... It may or may not be the most important anime of all time, and it Maybe. most certainly isn't the best anime of all time. Very objective there. Mm. One thing's for sure. A lot of strange sure, claims here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One thing's for sure. It is the most controversial anime to have ever been created up to this day. No other anime has, gener- has created as much controversy and sparked more debate than this one. No other anime has split the opinions of critics and fans alike like NGE has. Even at the time this reviews was written, 17 years since the original airing of the show, anime fans across the world argue, fight, throw shit, and throw shit at each other, figuratively speaking, of course. Thanks hmm. for that. <laughs> Over yeah, whether <laughs> Evangelion, <laughs> yeah, 
over whether Evangelion is a masterfully done work of art or a mediocre, pretentious piece of piss. Huh. Is the piss frozen? How is it a piece? Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> uh, that reminds me of uh, that line from uh, Silicon Valley where uh, what's-his-face was like, kiss my piss. That's like the same like kind of cringy thing <laughs> yeah. to me. Like sort of a platonic ideal piss that exists out somewhere. It's like a, some sort of concrete object or something. Yeah. It's the kilogram of piss. It exists in France in a vault. Like like I get I get the feeling that this guy calls people like a shit gibbon or you know oh, wow. stuff yeah, like that, you know. Yeah, that that kind of insult. Um so he continues, there's also a small minority of people standing in the middle, not subscribing to either of the two extremes in opinion about the series, who mostly end up getting covered in shit that the others throw. Who will think of I, the radical centrists? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I bet this guy voted for Hillary. (laughs) (laughs) Probably. Either from the haters who complain that the moderates give the show too much credit, or from the rabid fans who explode on the mere mentioning of a possibility that Evangelion might, just might, not be, quote, the best anime ever! Wow. (laughs) (laughs) I happen to belong to this moderate minority, (laughs) but I do confess to be leaning more towards the hating side than the other way. Yeah. By the way, he gave this a 7 out of 10. Whoa. So, Getting some mixed messages here, bro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't, okay. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, 7 out of 10 for him or them from uh, for uh, the original series. Uh, he didn't like it because of the ending, which uh, he's wrong about. Sorry, they. I keep saying he. Um, so for End of Evangelion, they gave it a three. Um, they really did not like End of Evangelion. <laughs> um, and so they preface it by saying that episodes 25 and 26 of this series were a huge middle finger to the audience. Um, yeah, specifically and, him and people who think like him, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He understood and, uh, that at least. <laughs> And the uh, not unexpected outrage by uh, fans uh, caused Anno to uh, create End of Evangelion, which is actually just a rumor. Um, I, I forgot to mention this at the at the beginning, but um, some people think that he created End of Evangelion as a big fuck you, but uh, it was actually close to the intended original ending that they would have done, except they just ran out of budget. Um, yeah. But <laughs> he did uh, decide to, uh, maybe like because people thought that, include some extra fuck you content. Like there's yes. a there's like a clip in the uh, in in the end of Ava movie where it's like um, showing photographs of like uh, death threats and like letters telling him to kill himself that he received after the end of yeah. the TV show. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Name ninety three will get into that part actually. <laughs> oh, um, okay. Yeah. So. Um, they, yeah, it's just like a long, really, really long intro, uh, three or four paragraphs before he even like starts the review, they start the review. Um, and they, they do one of my favorite, like dumb person things, uh, like, like smug dumb person things, which is, uh, so they say, uh, this review is already different from my usual ones. And that's due to two reasons. One, end of Evangelion is in a special league of its own regarding the films in general. Uh, let alone the anime I usually watch. 
not a very good yeah sentence there but this person uh, thinks a good cartoon is like uh just watching some like fate really zero overdrawn character yeah some overdrawn characters like standing around flapping their mouths occasionally a good action cut and then the episode's over or something yeah yeah i, I looked through their other reviews they rated fate zero 10 out of 10 <laughs> Ooh, buddy <laughs> <laughs> um so number two is i just don't give two fucks fuck with uh you know a star they censored fuck uh (laughs) this is a rant and i intend to enjoy it and and here's my favorite thing so buckle up and prepare to go okay boomer (laughs) i love when someone tells me to buckle up for their bad Uh, article or essay or tweet storm (laughs) yeah it's probably good advice i it is it's kind of dangerous to read them you're just gonna like you better buckle up otherwise you're gonna fall out of your chair because you're so infuriated by how stupid this person is yeah so so i'm buckled up and i'm, I'm ready to start reading this um right. me too so as the opening scene plainly shows what do you think what do you think they're gonna say mm. what does the opening scene show it's like shinji just like shinji it's shinji jacking off uh to asuka oh the movie oh fuck yeah 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 <laughs> that's a hell of a way to start a movie by the way yes <laughs> I, I think that was also a jab at the fans uh, in, in some regards. Yeah, sexualizing um, the fucking child protagonist. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, like on, on a side note uh, related to that, uh, for uh, Evangelion, the most popular toy that they made, uh, you would think it would be the cool giant robots. Uh, but no, it's actually the figurine of Asuka in bandages. Uh, and the like, the skin suit, which is uh, really gross <laughs> to me. Yeah, th- there's uh, a there's a whole like other rant you could go on about like the weirdness of the um, Evangelion sort of uh, merchandise boom. Like that's yes. far and by and by and just like orders of magnitude the most successful part about the show is they've just made bank off of merchandising, um, and yeah. especially like millions of dollars on the- guys that do come on figurine pictures uh, yep. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, if you don't know what that is you <laughs> probably shouldn't look it up <laughs> i would yeah. recommend against it <laughs> do not uh or or you could listen to the most recent uh blocked party episode where they talk about it for quite a bit um anyway or not <laughs> so uh, as the opening scene plainly shows, Ano's single most important objective in this film is pissing the fan base off as much as possible, and he accomplishes this superbly and in numerous ways. Uh, first of them, making the already unlikable and despised Shinji as appalling and disgusting as possible. There isn't a, sing- a single person with a sane mind that doesn't loathe and hate Shinji and... D- <laughs> And doesn't want to torture him in the most gruesome, painful ways possible. Yeah, again, the neurotypicals are at it again, it seems. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> people with sane that, minds, that huh? That sane thing that people want to do, torture people yeah. in the most gruesome, painful ways possible yeah. for being depressed. Extremely and sane. Kind Sa- of a sane society person. we've got here. Yeah. Yeah. Good <laughs> uh, <Good> story, bro. <laughs> if you thought he was spineless and whiny in the series, just wait to see how he acts during the film. And in particular, during the first half of the series... When instead of fighting off the enemy in his Ava, he sits under the staircase, weeps and cries for the unconscious Asuka to come and help him. After he gave himself a wank over her two, just two minutes earlier. Our protagonist, ladies and gentlemen. This explains it. This person's a Brit. 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I keep forgetting about that when I'm reading it. Uh, let's see. Um, so he you says. Read in a British accent now. Oh, God. I don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he says the other characters are ruined too. Uh, so he says, remember Misato Katsuragi? Uh, do you remember like w- one of the three main characters uh, and how she was turning into Ano towards the series finale parentheses along with the rest of the cast, by the way, all of their parentheticals, they put a space between the parentheses and the, the letter mm. next to it. Mm. Very annoying to me. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, Misato, uh, you know, becoming depressed, all depressed and upset and stuff. Do you remember that? Well, Mr. Anu clearly doesn't, for she's all tough and fiery at the beginning of the movie. Which is, that is not true. I, I read this review, yeah. and then I was like, hmm, I wonder if they're right about that. So I went back and watched episode 24 again, and she is not depressed in that episode at all. Um, so I don't know what the fuck they're yeah. talking about. <laughs> um. So she basically bitch slaps Shinji for being such a whiny, whiny spineless bitch, and practically embodies the feelings of the audience in doing so. Shame she doesn't put a bullet in his head. Not only would she make the viewers happy, she'd save the whole of mankind from turning into a stale orange juice. But I'm getting Jeez. ahead of myself. <laughs> Very oh, he's cool. getting ahead of himself, huh? All right. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, yeah. Oh, this is... Th- I mean, God, it's just so many gems in here. Asuka starts off b- as being unconscious... Then wakes up to be catatonic and scared and depressed, just like she was at the end of ep- episode 24. Then, in literally 20 seconds, during which she has a vision of her mother, she makes a 180 degrees turn and proceeds to kick some evil Ava arse. Great writing there, Anno. Yeah, actually, unironically, great writing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, that was probably, like, that's definitely the the best part of the movie in terms of that like, is like my favorite scene good. in this series yeah, she's is, having a fucking yeah. breakthrough dude <laughs> come on <laughs> um that's like her congratulations moment <laughs> yes exactly yeah um same with ray who is barely present for the first half of the movie albeit it is understandable why that is so only to saturate the screen for most of the second half She's also ripped of her previous personality. Personality. Because she's a clone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's how Ray works, but okay. Um, she's ripped of her previous personality, uncompromisingly sticking it to Gendo and accepting her destiny as Anno's final plot device in the quest to piss the fans off so much you can cover the entire Earth in piss. Oh. Speaking of good writing. Yeah. Very Speaking good in good writing. review writing. Yeah, good. that was definitely like a metaphorical allusion to covering the earth in LCL, I'm sure. <laughs> Very clever on their part. Yeah. Um, <laughs> even though there was hardly anyone really likable in NGE's cast of characters, and even though they were all deeply flawed as people, they were believable and good characters. Until the last third of the series, at least. So, like, the best part of the series. Uh, and... End of Evangelion stripped them of everything, disregarding continuity and only making Shinji the most hated fictional character of all time after Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> Jar Jar did nothing wrong. <laughs> um, I, I do hate Jar Jar Binks, but um, yeah, saying that he's more hated 
or less hated than Shinji, I think is quite a stretch. Yeah. Who's worse, anime fans or Star Wars fans? I don't. Uh, I don't want to judge that, that contest. Is a, <laughs> that is a very serious debate to have. Yeah. Yeah. Another podcast episode for that one, I think. <laughs> Star Star Wars versus anime fandom. Who is the most yeah. uh, depraved <laughs> trash of humanity? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so they move on to the plot, and uh, they say it starts off deep, decently enough, not counting the opening wank scene, only to collapse spectacularly in the second half, falling so hard it destroyed the world and liquefied all living things in the process. But while decent, the first part was still not very good, and in retrospect, it falls apart together with the rest of the movie. Falls apart together, I think, is a brilliant turn of phrase there. Yeah, it sounds um, like a sounds like kind of like a pop emo band or something. Yeah, <laughs> that would be a good uh, emo band name, I think. Uh, um, Midwest emo from the early two thousands. Yes, uh, yes. <laughs> AKA my favorite genre of music. <laughs> it's good. It's basically like. The classical music in Ava would be is good, but uh, American football might have been better. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's riddled with the aforementioned character inconsistency. So, like, not not riddled with that because it wasn't character inconsistency. It's character development, uh, plot holes, which he uh, they they don't uh, actually describe any of. Uh, contrivances, which again, they don't describe any of. Repetition of ad hoc resolutions from the original series, namely when Ritsko stops a massive hack of the Magi supercomputers, again, and in the exact same way, only much, much faster, and much more. Maybe she got better at it. Yeah. She had some practice. <laughs> also, they're repeating things from the end of the original series because this is a remake of the end of the original series. Yeah, it's sp- it's uh, supposed <laughs> to be You started your review by saying that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, there's also some ridiculous no-brainers like this one. The Japanese military are assaulting the Nerv HQ. While their forces are still inside the facility trying to retrieve the Avas... Their own forces detonate an N2 mine over their heads, blasting the <laughs> geofront into pieces. That's totally something a military would never do yeah. in a desperate situation. <laughs> Sacrifice their own soldiers? Unthinkable. Yeah, yeah. Just like, you know, uh, just like they should have uh, gotten a replacement pilot for Shinji, but they couldn't because of budget, you know. Yeah. All very uh, down to earth people making to, these reviews. <laughs> they just needed to like send in like SEAL Team Six or whatever the fuck. It would have worked out. Yeah, yeah. They would have done something cool like killing Bin Laden. You know. Yeah, they would have assassinated Osama Ikari or whatever <laughs> Gendo. <laughs> they would have got him. Um. All right. So let's see. I'm skipping. <laughs> I'm skipping a little bit. Uh. Let's see. Uh, okay, here's another example of this uh, reviewer's great writing. To put it simply, if the infamous live pudding scene from Akira, I don't know what that's referring to, and the I eclipse... Yeah. Go ahead. It's it's where, uh, basically, you know... It's where Tetsuo is, like, blowing up or whatever? Yeah. yeah, Yeah. he's just, like, turning into, like, weird, you know, he's mutating and becoming a disgusting meat baby. 
Okay. So just a scene from Akira. Okay. Uh, and the so. Eclipse episodes from Berserk had an, an S&M orgy during a black mass and conceived a baby, which in turn were to be raised by David Cronenberg. Then the second half of the movie would be that baby. What the fuck? <laughs> cool, man. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, especially like the, the eclipse thing with berserk was definitely not an S M N uh, S and M orgy. It was like, no, it's, it, if those two scenes had scene. an S and M orgy. Oh, okay. 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 Yeah. Still. And, and, and that famous thing that could, that happens during S and M orgies, uh, if, if they had a baby, you know, yeah. While they were doing bondage <laughs> sex, if they had a baby somehow, uh, which I think is very possible, uh, then this yeah, then really this, going off the rails here. Yeah, then the second half would be that baby. Uh, there's just no point in explaining it. You have to see it to believe it. If the episodes 25 and 26 were mindfuck, period, then this is an all-out gangbang orgy of. Ano randomly throwing around epically grotesque and random scenes filled with pointless and shameless religious symbolism that very unsettling screams, ask me what it means. Ask me what it means. God damn it. I love, I love when people too, like look at, um, it's sort of like the psychological version of cool robot where they look at like, you know, pretty intensely meaningful dialogue and they're like, Whoa, trippy. What a mind fuck. <laughs> <laughs> instead of being like oh wow this this actually relates to me you know and it's like oh this character is having an emotional breakthrough right now or you know yeah just Trippy, wait man. it's gonna get My so much fuck. worse it's gonna get so much oh, worse there's more it's yes there's yet. yeah I'm, I'm gonna i think i'm gonna skip part of it but but still <laughs> uh, uh this is just too good um so uh, uh okay so what does all that symbolism mean fuck all that's what and it's so painfully obvious that the endless and futile attempts by the rabid fans to read some deeper meaning into it causes me and the creator, that big troll, to laugh my arse off because they've <laughs> taken the bait and allowed Anno to win. Hmm. That's another one of my favorite dumb guy things is like, yeah, if you if you think something, then you're letting someone else win. What, what are you fucking talking about? It's, it's definitely kind of a very, like, debate me kind of nerd-ass stupid thing to do. Yes, yes. Um, You've conceded <laughs> my point by responding. Or, yeah, fuck. And uh, we, we get some insight into why they think this way. Um, so they say, also, if I may quote from Roger Ebert's movie glossary, quote, Oh, boy. <laughs> if, you have what it, if you have to ask what it symbolizes, it didn't. Hmm, that definitely sounds like how metaphor and symbolism works. Yeah, I think that really applies Totally here. explicit and easy to get. Very transparent. Yeah. That's good symbolism. <laughs> Albeit the quote goes a bit too far, the point still stands. We also get some of the trademark navel-gazing, too. That, that's something that I do, like, for comedy. I say also and too and as well in the same sentence, and this guy just did. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, we also get some of the trademark navel-gazing, too, because episode 25 and 26 just weren't enough. What a joy! Anyways, all of the spectacular mind-fuckery and endless nudity of the second half aside, there's one remaining and pretty major flaw of the story. Guess what it is. What do you think it is, Reed? What is it? What is it? Uh, does he hate the ending? 
Like, uh, the scene on the beach? Yes, but yes, but why does he hate the ending? Um, because... With this guy, it would be like, uh... Because it's just another... It, it would probably seem to them like another fuck you to the audience where Asuka is calling Shinji disgusting. If your answer know. was, what? it's not conclusive, then congratulations! Oh my god! <laughs> uh, yes, despite being promoted as a proper and cohesive conclusion of the series that's supposed to tie up all the loose ends and provide answers to countless questions that were raised over the course of the series, it fails to achieve that. Was it actually promoted uh, that way? I don't think it was. Uh, I, I was or if it was, that was, that was the troll. That was Ano yeah. trolling you and saying "fuck you," not the, also, not the actual yeah. work. He's also said before that like Ava is a a story that repeats. So there's also sort of the notion that the conclusions of the uh, like end of Evangelion with the third impact is sort of setting off like a repetition of the timeline, which is where they get the like rebuild movies they've made. Mm. Um, yeah, so it's kind of not supposed to be conclusive it's sort of like setting off the new loop of suffering that everybody's going to go through yeah so they they ramble on about how they didn't tie every detail up into a nice little bow and beat you over the head with what everything means because you know it doesn't actually mean anything it's just uh fake symbolism to troll you um uh so now they move on to the the good things about the movie i gave it three out of ten and not one out of ten after all and the funny thing is that they immediately say <laughs> more negative things here. So the visuals are very good throughout the movie, with the exception of a short period of live action stock footage near the end of the film. Doesn't know what stock footage means. In that one scene, a person with a low budget camcorder randomly wanders around town filming things like empty movie theaters or city streets. This comes yeah, as stock quite footage, a... You can, see the, you can see the watermark on it. Stock footage. Yeah, just... Uh, they just happen to get find stock footage of the uh, the seiyu of of uh, Ray and uh, Asuka and Mitsu. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, let's see. This comes as quite a shock midway through and manages to come across as exceedingly ugly. The point: a pretentious and futile attempt to make the movie relevant to the real world and probably connect further with the audience. Well, it failed. Oh no! How dare they try to connect with the audience? The, this is my favorite part of the review because they're talking about a scene where they literally show a fucking like filmed clip of the audience of Evangelion watching Evangelion as a commentary <laughs> on the audience of the fucking show. It's just meaningless symbolism, you know, it's just a copy. Yeah, it doesn't mean footage. anything. Those are just people, they could be in any movie theater holding like Ava merchandise, you know. Why is this guy trolling me by telling me that I need to get back into the real world and stop watching anime all the time? All I want to do is just watch anime. Like, I just want some <laughs> giant robot fights. <laughs> and again, this this is the part of the review that's supposed to be what they liked about the movie. <laughs> um, I don't know if I want to read the next part. They say the music is pretty good, which it's, true. it's just classical music. So, like, who cares? Yeah. Um, but I mean, like, for real, though, like, probably one of the most banging, like, opening themes of all time. Yeah. Iconic pop yeah. song there. Yeah, and the music they used for the scene where they killed Kaworu was, was extremely good, too. 
Um, and so just, uh, I'm not going to read their whole conclusion, but it has some of that trademark bad nerd writing. So I want to read part of it. They say, uh, well, that's it. The end of Evangelion. And what a steaming pile of dick and cock it was. Yet I absolutely loved it. <laughs> Can't decide whether they loved it or not. The main reason why I loved is because unlike NGE, which was an extremely mixed bag with some very good stuff and lots of very bad stuff, End of Evangelion was just plainly horrible, and I could just indulge in pure unjustified hatred that my rational and objective mind didn't allow me with the original series. Huh. You know, love being rational and objective. <laughs> personally, I think uh, you can have a lot of fun with a steaming pile of dick and cock. I don't know what the big deal is. <laughs> it's pretty good. As long as it's not too hot. Speaking. Yeah, like steaming, but like not, you know, scalding. Also, I didn't notice that... Like it's for like some reason in my mind it was it, it was like pussy and cock, but it's dick and cock. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Two different things. <laughs> yep. Um yeah, that's all I'm gonna you read see, from that. You see, there's two kinds of penises in the world. There's dicks and there's cocks. But you can pile them all together and then they start steaming like a compost pile, generating their own heat. We can power the world with this energy source. <laughs> we just gotta get all the dicks and cocks together on the same page and in a pile. Uh, so, <laughs> so there you have it. A work of art better than uh, any anime ever uh, produced. Uh, Name 93's review of End of Evangelion. Um, wow. I thought it was pretty good. Truly, <laughs> truly epic. Definitely a mindfuck of a review. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Um, so uh, to conclude our episode on <laughs> Evangelion... <laughs> Uh, don't watch it because it's a steaming pile of dick and cock, and yeah. Or if the you characters like that, are bad it. people. <laughs> um, no, for real though, it's it, one of my favorite anime ever. Now, I was very, very skeptical of it, and um, now I I would put it in my top three easily. Uh, how how would you rate it among your favorites? I would say like it's got to be pretty close to the top of the list. Um. Especially just because of the uh, like the influential factor it had, it was like yeah. one of the first like really adult series that I uh, you know watched through and was like actually like emotionally impacted by <laughs> in a significant mm -hmm. manner, you know. And it's like it's got serious rewatch value. You can you can just pretty much dig through it end endlessly, like teasing out new interpretations or themes that may or may not be there, but it doesn't matter because if you think they are, they are for you. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yes, it is truly a show that you can watch six times in a row and write 11 pages of notes on. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, probably more if you, like, you know, do all the freeze frame, go frame by frame and pick out weird, especially... Because there's, there's all those parts where it's doing, like, the big ano text where it's, like, just flashing a bunch of words at you really fast and you have to stop yes. and think about yeah. them for a second, you know? Um. <laughs> yeah, that scene with the live-action stock footage, uh, according to Name93, there's a lot of stuff yeah. that you could unpack in there. Yeah. yeah, and I'd also rate it highly because it's because of its just like massive cultural impact on the animation industry in general. Like it's impact and the podcast industry, <laughs> and the podcast industry for real. Yeah, and now with Netflix, it's the normies know about it too. So um, yeah, there's that. <laughs> yeah, so you have no. Uh, excuse. I mean, it's yeah, it's gone on to influence like um, you know obviously loads of Japanese animation since, and it's led to the creation of like 
you know, Gynax really getting big as a studio, which ended up, you know, launching other people's careers, like Studio Trigger is kind of taking up that, like the Gynax mantle these days. And it's gone on to like influence. Are, uh, are they the ones that did uh, Kill La Kill and stuff? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Exactly. Yeah, that is a good it's studio. gone on to influence like American animators to the extent where like there's an episode of Steven Universe that has a like explicit visual reference to the, the beach scene in End of Evangelion. Nice. Um, you know, nice. So it's just like it's got worldwide <laughs> appeal and is like did just did so much for like people really beginning to take animation seriously again as like a really legit um, form of art and media. Yeah. Um, all right, and uh, I, let's end on a on a question that I had here, um, which is uh, like a comment that I saw an awful lot from people who liked the show, uh, which is anime is anime worse now than it was in the nineties? Because this is what everyone was saying was Evangelion is the best show ever. Anime peaked in the nineties. Everything since then has been absolute shit. No. <laughs> me neither (laughs) i think Um, basically there's just been as much there's probably like a higher volume of shit that gets pumped out these days as like uh the uh the industry has gotten bigger and more corporatized you know Mm -hmm. so you just got like your endless parade of terrible like uh isekai light novel ripoff shows and Mm -hmm. you know it sucks obviously there's just fewer anime being produced in the 80s and 90s overall yeah. Um, yeah. One YouTuber was complaining that. Oh, sorry. Like go ahead. One to one hundred. It's just like yeah. There's probably a one to fifty ratio of like actually gems, good shows versus just kind of like commercial trash to fill airtime on TV. Yeah. Yeah. One uh, one YouTuber was complaining that moe culture ruined uh, aughts and tens anime, um, but I think he's ignoring that help. giant robots <laughs> ruined eighties and nineties anime. And that's part of the reason that yeah. Evangelion exists in the first place. Because there yeah, was I mean, a million like, giant of, robot clone shows yeah. that were just shit. <laughs> yeah, if you think of 80s and 90s anime, it's like uh, ultra-violence, hyper-macho uh, masculinity, like violence stuff. You know, like Fist of the North Star and all that. Yeah. Um, all the endless rip-offs of that. Which is actually and, really bad. I don't know. Yeah, it's bad. Yeah, it sucks. <laughs> Yeah. It's like very nostalgic, but, and and the the one line is really cool. The you you're already dead thing. That's that's great. But like yeah. the show is that's so all you bad. Need to watch. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like it, all the things that Eva was deconstructing, like you know, kind of like stoic masculinity, hyper violence, giant robots, um, really ridiculous and obscure sci fi concepts. Is like mm-hmm. yeah, those were really common and they sucked. We have new things that suck. Um, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But the old things still suck too. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And I think like for some reason, I don't know, like people seem to think that like 90s anime were like more, maybe more high concept or something like that. Or like that, that 90s anime were all like Evangelion. But like the only one that I can think of that's even comparable from the 90s is Serial Experiments Lane. And that was just an OVA, I think. Uh, Or it was like, it was only 13 episodes. But, but like in the 2000s, you have deep shows like Eureka 7, Mob Psycho 100, FLCL, Kill La Kill, Noeen, Paranoia Agent, Steins Gate, Madoka, Madoka Magica, Mushishi. Like, there's just so many yeah. now. <laughs> when did Cowboy Bebop come out? Is that like late 90s or something? I th- it was Early 99 2000s? to 2000. 
Okay, yes. That's that's when it started, quote unquote, getting good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? But even even Bebop, like, as much as I love it, it's not like it doesn't I don't think it has like much deeper meaning like Yeah. That's Evangelion or too, Lane like, does. That transition between like the nineties and the two thousands was also sort of the period where like um like basically like western and especially english speaking fans started to actually see this stuff come on tv in like yes. a more like uncut and unedited way whereas like previously mm-hmm. they were there's just a much lower volume of content that was like making it over and often it was like really poorly translated or really chopped up and cut to like quote unquote appeal to a western audience or whatever um so you know there's just like so i think a lot of the like higher quality stuff was just like being filtered through a, a finer mesh to get over over here in that time. Yeah, but then yeah, that's true. In the two thousand stuff started coming on Toonami and like Cartoon Network stuff, and Funimation was actually putting out stuff, and you know Shonen Jump was getting published. So there's just more stuff people were exposed to. Yeah, and a lot of it was trash. <laughs> yeah, I, I think another big thing that that people think about '90s anime is that like the animation was better back then. Because it was it wasn't CGI, um, yeah. but I I don't think I agree with that either. Because nope. like <laughs> just out of the examples that I already named, Mob Psycho 100, Mushishi, like those have outstanding animation, just incomparable to anything. Yeah, that and came it's not like it, I think it's not it's not even like Gynax got bad at animating after Evangelion. They got even better. They went on produced like Gerd Logan and stuff. So yeah, I yeah. I think people are thinking of like the berserk show like the new berserk show where it's like oh uh, it doesn't capture yeah. the feeling of the the manga it's, well okay sure yeah but there's like a million examples where you're fucking wrong <laughs> yeah anyway um yeah i think i i think we both fully agree on on this stuff and uh yeah i, th- I think we can wrap it up here um Ooh, so reed thank you for thank you for joining me it's always great to have yeah. you on uh, if we want to have like an ambiguous Evangelion ending, should you like choke me out and then I call you disgusting to make it? Yes. Or do you want to like have it be conclusive? <laughs> <laughs> I, I like going right. with the inconclusive stuff. Um, right. you uh, just, actually, you, you know what? You no, did, let's let's do, do a happy ending. <laughs> let's let's do a happy ending. Um, okay. I want to be myself. I want to be here. It's okay for me to be here in this world. Congratulations. 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 Congratulations, bro. Congratulations. 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 Thanks, everyone.